Well, it's August here at Red, which means that it's August Pledge Drive. So if you call Red home, we'd love you to pray about seeding the next season as we pledge our next 12 months of giving. So if you're not giving, you can start giving, you can continue your current giving, or if you feel the Lord leading you, you can increase your giving. So head to the Red Connect page, click on the pledge tile, and pledge what you're going to give in the next 12 months as we seed the next season of what God is doing here at Red. Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to Connect redchurch.org.au Hello, welcome to Red Church. My name's Tom Gibbs. If I haven't met you yet, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've been a part of Red Church for about seven years now. I did the Red Apprentice Ministers program and now I'm studying theology in Adelaide with my wife. It's such a pleasure to be preaching to you for the first time from Adelaide. This morning, I want to speak to you about what it means to follow Jesus in a time of disorientation and disruption. Have you ever been in a time of disorientation? A few years ago, I visited my brother-in-law in Vietnam. This was pre-COVID. And when I arrived, I remember my brother-in-law, Sam, pulled out his little moped motorbike and he had a hire bike next to him and he said, hey, Tom, you want to go for a ride? Now, I'd never ridden a moped before in my life, but somehow the words just slipped out of my mouth and I said yes. I assumed how hard could it be? I've, I've ridden a push bike. Maybe it's sort of similar. So with fear and trepidation, I put on my helmet And I went onto the back streets of Vietnam and I started following Sam. Now, I don't know if you've been to Vietnam before, but the streets are crazy. There were potholes all over these back streets. I was riding on the wrong side of the road and I realized the one thing I had to do was follow Sam, who was wearing this red helmet and a white shirt. Now, I did not know how to ride this bike, but I kept on following him and he started to get a little bit faster and faster and I started to get a little bit worried. I figured out where the brakes were, where the accelerator was, but then came a moment of disorientation. My brother-in-law pulled out onto a main highway. Now, I don't know if you've been there before, but the highways in Vietnam are wide and there are hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of bikes that are navigating these highways at any given time. So I kept on following my brother-in-law with this red helmet and his white shirt and he kept getting faster and faster and faster. And there came a point where I was like weaving in and out of the traffic, trying to keep up with my brother-in-law. And then a problem came. 
there were traffic lights. Now, I didn't know if I needed to follow these traffic lights. The road rules seem pretty variable there, but my brother-in-law shot on through just as the traffic lights were turning red and I decided I had to stop. There I was in the middle of Vietnam. I didn't have my phone on me and I was thinking, what have I done? I've lost the one person I was following. I'm on my bike in the middle of nowhere and I'm lost. I was disorientated. Have you ever had a moment of disorientation like this? Following God through disruption can be like this. You might have experienced a career change, scene change, or just wrestling with the complexities of an unpredictable world in this time of COVID. And what we see as disruption brings disorientation. But my question to you is what does it mean to follow Jesus in this time of disorientation? The disciples, when they were following Jesus, reached a point of disorientation. They started walking with Christ before they even knew who he was. Let me read from Mark 1, 16 to 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they are fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And note this, immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Why did they immediately drop everything they were doing and follow this Jesus? Well, this Jesus is good. They saw that Jesus heals people. He healed the leper, he healed the blind, and he healed deaf people. They also saw that this Jesus was powerful. As they continued following Jesus, they noticed that this Jesus had the power to over elemental forces of the storm. He literally spoke to the storm and it stopped. He fed thousands of people from a measly basket of bread and fish. And this Jesus had authority. He had authority to teach parables and to cast out demons. And they were expecting a political Messiah, someone like Jesus, who had authority. Why did I start following Jesus? Well, I remember I started following Jesus when I was five. I was doing a devotion with my mum just before I went to bed. This was her routine. And I remember asking her, mum, can I become a Christian? At the time, I knew this Jesus was good. And I remember the day after I was so excited when I'd given my life to God, I was celebrating. I remember even going to get fish and chips the day after and telling the person behind the counter, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I knew this Jesus was good. I remember praying and spending time with this Jesus and I knew that he was listening to me. I felt loved 
I felt accepted. Now, I was a five-year-old. I didn't figure out all the doctrines or the big ideas of the Christian faith, but I knew that Jesus answered my prayers and that he was with me wherever I went. My question to you, though, is what do you do when Jesus doesn't seem present, doesn't seem to give you the things that you want? I remember as I grew up later in life, I would pray and sometimes Jesus felt absent. I remember there were times where sometimes I just didn't feel the affirmation of God. When my prayers go unanswered, thinking about our global situation, there are wars, we're in a pandemic, thinking about the displaced asylum seekers that we're seeing on the news, and maybe you're even suffering job loss. It's so easy to feel disorientated. And in that place, it's so easy to get angry and disillusioned that God is no longer that first Jesus who met me, who seemed so close. That can leave you feeling annoyed. The disciples experienced this too. Jesus went into Nazareth in Mark 6 and suddenly he couldn't heal people. It says because of their lack of faith. Can you think about this? You're following Jesus. You're seeing that he's this epic Messiah. And yet he couldn't heal some of these people. Do your prayers ever go unanswered? Or what about later in Mark, where we see that Jesus becomes a political threat? Herod is worried that Jesus is going to take over his throne and conspiracies are made that Herod thinks that Jesus might be John the Baptist resurrected. People become fearful of this Jesus. Or later we see that Jesus is offensive. He builds this tension with the Pharisees. He holds this argument with the Pharisees. Just a few weeks ago, I was meeting with a friend and my friend was filling out the census form. And I remember my friend was really wrestling and going, do I even write that I'm a Christian anymore? Because she said, my friends find Christianity so offensive. The disciples experienced this too. And in this moment of disorientation, Jesus asks them a question. I invite you to open with me to Mark 8, 27 to 33. Now, this is a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Most scholars would say that this is the turning point. Before this is the first section of Mark. After this moment is the second and final section of Mark. This is the moment that makes all the difference. Let's read. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. 
And just think about this moment. He looks at them and he asks, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Here we see the disciples reached a point of disorientation. And what does Jesus do? He invites them into a conversation. Have you reached a point of disorientation? Jesus is inviting you into a conversation. Years ago, I almost lost my faith. I remember I was studying at the Victorian Colleges of the Arts and it was a difficult place to be a Christian. I remember my friends did not like Christianity. It was not a popular thing. And I was feeling frustrated because my experiences and ideals for life were not being matched. I thought, where is Jesus? And I was annoyed because I wanted my friends to know who this Jesus was. But their experiences of Christianity and Christians actually poorly represented the love of God. And you know what? I was part of that. I was full of questions at this time. And my biggest question, I remember thinking, if God is good, how can there be suffering in the world? How can there be so many people who don't know him? But there was one moment that turned everything around. God met me in that place. And I remember so clearly this moment where I felt him say, Tom, don't trade your intimacy with me for questions. Bring your questions to me. If you're in a moment of disorientation, God is saying to you, don't trade your intimacy with me for questions. Bring your questions to me. If you're plagued by questions, if you're troubled with disappointments, come to Jesus. Bring your questions to Jesus. He can handle your questions. He can handle your fears. So my first point is this. Disruption is an invitation into intimacy. Moments of major disruption bring questions. 
Where is God in all of this? Why does he seem so distant? When you enter a disruption, the world might feel chaotic and you might feel disorientated, but it's not a sign that God has left you. He's still with you. In Mark 8 verse 27, we see that Jesus invited his disciples into a conversation. And so they had questions and Jesus invited them to bring their questions to him. So returning to that moment in Vietnam where I was at the traffic lights, completely lost, surrounded by revving engines, thinking, what have I done? I'd lost my brother-in-law. He was well off in the distance. And I didn't know how to get myself out of that situation. So I sat there waiting and waiting, thinking I don't have my phone. I can't navigate myself. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I heard this voice. And behind me, I heard this voice calling out, Tom, what are you doing? And it turns out it was my brother-in-law, Sam. And I had been following the wrong red helmet and the wrong white shirt. Have you ever been in a moment of disorientation where you hear that voice? where you experience that comfort of a voice of familiarity that just knows you by name. Disruption is an invitation to voice recognition. When you are in a time of disorientation, whatever it takes, find the voice of Jesus. In Mark 8, 27 to 29, we get an insight into an intimate moment. The disciples had been following Jesus for some time, but we discover that deep down, they'd only just started to discover who this Jesus was. Let's spend some time in the text. What is Jesus's question to the disciples? Who do people say I am? The disciples list off the opinions of everyone around them. Some say you're John the Baptist, and they're probably referring to that moment of tension from Herod, who's worried that he's a political threat. Some say Elijah, he's the prophet who never died and was taken up to heaven. Or maybe you're a great leader, you're a moral example. And perhaps you might even be the guy who's going to fix the problems in our world. But then Jesus stops and he asks them a more poignant question. But who do you say I am? We are in a time of global disruption. If you are in a moment of disorientation, there will come a time where you need to answer this question. Who is Jesus for you in this moment? This is the turning point in the book of Mark because it's the first time that someone has the faith to stake their claim and put their faith in Jesus. So my third and final point is this. Disruption is an invitation to greater trust. What if your moment 
of disruption is an opportunity to step deeper in your faith in Jesus. Let's return to the text. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Seems pretty harsh. Now, what's going on in this text? Peter was expecting a political messiah. But Jesus had so many bigger plans for Peter and bigger plans for the world. So why did Peter rebuked Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't cooperating with Peter's plan. Peter hoped that Jesus would take on Herod and take the Jewish land back from the Romans. Peter wanted a political solution for a spiritual problem. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to the cross. Jesus's plan was so much bigger and so much better than Peter's plan. And his plan was one of an eternal kingdom and an eternal throne. In this moment of disruption, have you been seeking a political fix? I have. I've been wanting to get out of lockdowns. I've been wanting a quick fix. Sometimes I just take myself to the shops and buy some more food or come up with a creative project to distract myself. I bought a van. But Jesus wants to invite Peter into deeper trust. What if lockdowns, what if this disrupting moment around the world is an opportunity to harness this moment and to step into deeper trust? What if your moment of disruption invites you into a new life of full of faith in Jesus? Listen to me clearly here. Jesus doesn't promise to remove the difficult moments from your life. It says afterwards, then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is actually promising the disciples things are going to get worse. And they did. The first audience that Mark has written to is actually an audience who are under the reign of Nero. Now, Nero was a terrible persecutor of the Christians. He would feed Christians to the lions and he treated them mercilessly. Now, I can't promise our political situation will get better. I can't promise that the lockdowns will cease. I can't promise that things will get easier. But Jesus promises he will never leave you. John 14, 18 to 24 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will see me, will no longer see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also 
will live. In Jesus, because he lives, you will live. In Jesus, there is resurrection life. If you follow Jesus, there is life. Disruption is an invitation to intimacy. Disruption is an invitation to voice recognition. And disruption is an invitation to greater trust. If you're disorientated right now, if you've got questions, if you've got doubts, if you're worried about this moment, come to Jesus. He will meet you in that place and allow Jesus to reorientate your disorientation. Let's pray. I thank you, Jesus, that you show us, that you meet us where we are at, that there are no questions, there are no fears, there are no anxieties that are too big for you, that you meet us in that place. And I thank you, Jesus, that you promise you will never leave us. God, for everyone who's listening, would you meet them? in this place? Would you meet them in the place of doubt, of questions, and God, I pray, would your Holy Spirit come into that place, be the comforter, and draw us back into alignment with you. In Jesus' name, amen.